This month we'll be looking at um, some messages in regards to the family, and I hope that these things will be edifying to you. I think it's very fitting every May with Mother's Day and all the great things that go on the month of May uh, that we talk about the home. And then next month, June, is when Pentecost usually comes, so I usually like to preach on the church at that time. And then in July is when I run out of sermons, and then I don't know what I do then. No, I got a, I got a list right now, and then I got a few more. I keep saying I'm going to preach them. I'll get to them. All right, uh, before we get to our study uh, this morning, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. We thank you for the words and the scriptures and the Bible that we can read and study today. Father, we thank you for the blessings you give us by uh, giving us marriage and giving us the home, and blessing us with family. And Father, we ask that you strengthen our families in this congregation. Help us to listen to your words, to yield to you, to listen to you, and to be obedient. Father, we ask for your strength at this time to rightly handle your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we look at the subject of God's marriage counseling. I don't know how it ended up as kind of a joke this week. Garland came in and said, we need marriage counseling. He came up to the church building this week and I think he was joking. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that he, he was. And I said to him, okay, here you go. And I think I said, Joy, you respect Garland, and Garland, you love Joy. And I don't know why it happened that way, because that was the sermon I was working on uh, this week. So it makes a very fitting introduction that what is needed for our families and in the home, that basis of marriage, the relationship between husband and wife is essential um, for everybody, for the children, uh, for society, for everybody. And it's a blessing from God that we have it. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about marriage counseling, because I think there's a lot of crazy ideas as far as advice and marriage counseling that's out there in the secular world. Let's go and see what the Bible has to say. And I trust the Bible because I trust God. God made male and woman, man and woman. He made them male and female from the beginning. That's what Christ says. Mark chapter 10, 6 through 7, this is a quote from it. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, so the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is quoting scripture. He's talking about the institution of the home. One man and one woman, he made it. He knows the nature of man and he knows the nature of woman and he knows what we struggle with. He knows what we need to do to make our marriages and our homes better. And we need to listen to him. We need to consider it. And it might be that some of this you might be thinking, I don't know how much this is applicable to me. Um, it is to somebody around you. And it's going to be definitely a part of your family. So these are things we want to think about and take to heart. Now, when we get into the text we're looking at this morning, it's Ephesians 5. So you have your Bible. That's where our exposition's coming from is Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 22. And we're going to go down to verse 33, essentially. But we're going to start in these three verses. And it's interesting here because Paul first addressed wives. He instructs them. He, he says to the wives, he gives them instruction. Now, what I, I also don't see here in the text, I don't see God saying, husbands, you badger your wives on this, or you go after them and make sure that they know these things. But he starts with wives, because it's very important that we have that foundation. And sometimes it takes the sacrifice of a good Christian woman and humbling herself 
to make changes in the home. So let's go on and read this passage, and we're going to make some observations from it. So Ephesians chapter 5, look in verses 22 to 24. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, if I was translating this, the word submit is hupatasso. Hupa is where we get the word hypo from. It means under, and tasso meaning order. I would have translated it as subordinate. Not, I think submit is, it gives an impression of, you know, you're putting your thumb down or you're lording over, which is the opposite of what the Scripture is teaching right here. But he says, wives, you subordinate, you humble yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, how do you do that? We'll keep reading here. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So we start thinking about this. So the man is to lead as Christ leads the church, and the wife is to submit to him as the head of the wife. In what way? In a way that he is a leader. And how does he lead? How do Christian men, are we supposed to lead? What does the Bible tell us to do? Are we to lord over? Are we to take authority over? No, the Bible tells us not to. Christ says not to. Even the examples we got in 1 Peter chapter 5, when elders are instructed to lead by example and not to lord over. All right, look at verse 24. It says, Now as the church submits to Christ, subordinates to Christ, so also wives should submit, that is, subordinate, humble themselves in every way to their husbands. So, fascinating scripture. Not politically correct today to be able to read that and to say it, but it's true. If these fundamental things, if, if a woman can humble herself, and she should, as God commands her to, she can change her marriage in many ways. Again, what we see here, wives commanded by God to subordinate, to humble themselves. The husband is the head of the wife, and he's leading. He's not to be abusive or tyrannical. The wife is to subordinate to the husband's lead, to his headship. And he's supposed to be leading in a specific way. Now, Paul's not done here. He's going to talk about what the husband is supposed to do. And then Christ commanded his apostles, and this is just kind of adding on a thought here. Christ commanded his apostles to lead by example, again, that you lead in service. In fact, when you go to Mark chapter 10, I have that passage on the screen, Mark 10, 42 to 45, Jesus instructs his disciples and he says to you, I don't want you to lead the way that the um, rulers and the authorities of the world do, who do it lording over. You don't do it in that way. You serve and you set an example. That is how you lead. That is what you are to do. And so a husband can make it a lot easier for his wife to subordinate and to respect him and to honor him and revere him if he would respond in that way. And she, I think, and I think a lot of people miss this, I think the woman who respects her husband and shows him that she respects him, she's going to see great change in him. And if he's a Christian man, he's going to lead by example. And he's not going to lead in a way in which Christ teaches him not to. So why would God you know, command wives? Why does he start with wives first to humble themselves before their husbands? And I think there's this interesting thing about the nature of man, and we see it in Scripture. One place is over in 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter gives instructions to wives. And he says to the wives that you need to live a holy life, that you need to subordinate, to humble yourselves, to respect your husbands. And if you do this, this is a way in which you can change him. Even if he doesn't follow the Word of God, you can affect him and change him. 
I know, I know a lot of women who try to change their husbands, and they might repeatedly, repeatedly tell him things, or they might criticize him, or criticize him openly, or, or, or criticize him before the, his family, or before his children. These things, they have the opposite effect. Uh, most men are going to respond by either getting really angry and saying things they shouldn't say, uh, being borderline abusive. Uh, some of them will be, a lot of them, will be passive-aggressive. They just won't talk to their wife. They'll be quiet. And so what is the response there? The best response that we have here is for wives to do this, to make any kind of change in man. You need to do that, and you need to respect him. We should not think that only wives are to subordinate. Okay, so a lot of people might be thinking, uh, why does the Bible say this? And I've heard, I've heard Christians even say, well, and they forget that the Holy Spirit and God speaking through Paul, and they'll say, well, Paul was a sexist, or he was a misogynist, or this or that. But if we, we stop there in Ephesians chapter 5, after reading 22 through 24, and we remember the verse right before, verse 21, and the instruction is in Ephesians 5.21 is that we all are to subordinate to one another. That all Christians are to humble themselves to one another. And so why is this, why is this emphatic for women? Because I think that my perspective is that might be a, a, um, something that women struggle with or struggle to understand. Not that they're always rebellious in it. They might be trying to, to do these things and yet... Uh, failing in it in some ways. But God says, no, you, you need to subordinate, you need to respect him, and that's going to have the greatest influence on him. In fact, subordinating, that is putting ourselves in an order below others, is to be selfless, is to be humble. And Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 4 is a great example of this. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Bring that into the home. Bring that. Instill that into your children. No selfish ambition, no conceit. You be humble. You think of others as more significant. You esteem them greater than yourselves. And it's going to have the greatest influence. And some of us might be thinking, I don't know. I see people they are just going to run all over me. They're just going to take advantage of me. Do you believe in God? Do you trust in Him? Then follow his words and his, his instruction here. God is the avenger. He will, he will work things out if there's need for justice. What you need to do is to follow his instructions because it's the best thing. It's going to bring about the best results. Uh, it's going to reinstill love and, and great things within the home and throughout society. And then he says, let each of you look not to his own interest. In Greek, the word interest is not there. He says, don't let everybody look to your own things, your own things about yourself, but also look unto others. And so we humble ourselves. You know, another thing I think about with this instruction to the wise is the Garden of Eden. I think about why God would emphasize this. Because when you look at Eve, I don't see that she was her husband. And she definitely wasn't respecting God's command. And when you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you see them in the garden and you see the serpent tempting Eve, and she listens to the serpent, but she says to the serpent, God has commanded us not to eat of the fruit of the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. So what, what happened there? And then it says in the text that Adam is with her, beside her. And what did he do? I'm not saying... It was all her or him. They're both guilty. We see that very clearly. The serpent, Satan, Adam and Eve, 
They all did things they shouldn't have done in that, that situation. And then it's used other places in Scripture is to illustrate the role of men and women and that men need to take a leadership. And so like 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that God has made man and He made him first so he should lead. God intended him to lead, to, to take that, that kind of leadership. Most good women I know and Christian women, they want men who will lead. They don't want a man who's passive, do nothing, sit on the couch and watch TV and play video games kind of guy who you know, doesn't want to work. They don't want that, of course. Uh, and, and they want a man who's going to lead, who's going to lead the family in prayer, who's going to read the Bible and who's going to stand for the truth and protect and provide. So God commanded Adam and Eve, and he tells them there in Genesis chapter 3, he says, don't eat of the tree, we know that. And then the serpent lies, and it says in the text that Eve was deceived. She was deceived. She believed the serpent. She no longer fully believed what God had told her. And she did this also in the presence of her husband. So she ate of the fruit and gave it to Adam. And then Adam, with his eyes wide open, knowing that it was wrong, using the excuse later, well, my wife gave it to me. The woman that you gave me, God gave it to me. He willingly allowed this and complied. And I think when you look at this example right here, you see what often goes on in families, what often goes on in relationships, that the husband stands by and does nothing. And the wife can often, or if she takes the lead, she makes herself in a, in a place of deception if she does that. And, and it just looks like, it looks like the same thing, and it's what's taught in 1 Timothy 2 as well. Adam did not lead here by example, giving into the temptation. Both Adam and Eve sinned and did not respect God's Word. They didn't hold to it. One being deceived, the other one willingly forgetting it and just dismissing what God had told them. So by wisdom, wives should and will, should humble themselves as the Bible says, and respect their husbands. And it's only in that way that they have the potential to influence them in a positive way. And I know women try to influence, and some, some women who are, have this mindset, I'm not talking about Christian women, but I'm talking about these kind of women saying, I will get my way. Yeah, I'll get it, don't worry. I'll, I, I can manipulate, I can handle this man, I can, I can do this or that. And uh, unless she's talking about being respectful to him, and subordinating, then, then she's got it all wrong. And it doesn't all, it's not going to work out for her. Now let's talk about what the rest of the Scripture says in Ephesians 5 about husbands. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25, let's read and draw some observations from it. Ephesians 5, 25 down to verse 32. We'll leave verse 33 for the end. It says, Husbands, love your wives. And notice the instruction here. Wives, Subordinate to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are to love the way that Christ loves the church, compassionately, sacrificially. And he says he gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What's that washing with water in the word? We'll come back to that, use that for the invitation. But you see, Christ there makes the church holy. He sanctifies her, he cleanses her. He wants the church, the body, to be right. And that he, his relationship with the church is that example for husbands, that they should be looking out for their wives, leading them to live a holy life. That is the role of the man, of the husband. 
Verse 27, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might, that she might be holy and without blemish. Keep reading, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So husbands are to respect their wives, to take care of them. And then what does he mean here? What, what does it look like um, in the sense of, of loving his wife? What, what is the description here? Well, he tells us a little bit further. He says in verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So the husband, he's not to be abusive anyway. He's not to be cruel in any way. But then it also says, he's, he's, he goes further than that. He says he's to nourish, that is, he's to provide and take care of her. And he is to cherish her. That means to give warm affection to her. And, and then Paul's going to expand on this, I think, a little bit further uh, as we go on from Genesis 2. And so it says, um, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man, and now he uses Genesis 2.24 as an example, the institution of marriage, Paul does, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. He is to go with his wife and he is to care for her. And then secondly, he is to hold fast to her. There's the, the affection of cherishing her that he holds to her. That's the idea of that affection. And the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And then at the end, he's going to give the final instruction again saying what he's been saying throughout it. This is what we see here in Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 32. Husbands are to love their wives again as Christ loved the church. Uh, I put another passage up here, Colossians 3, 19. It tells husbands that you are not to be harsh with your wives. You are not to speak harshly with your wife. That's Colossians 3, 19 that we had read this morning. We might think of a passage like 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says, husbands, that you are to live with your wife with understanding. With understanding. There's sometimes you're going to have things that you're just going to, to have to respect one another and to understand one another. Like Christ, husbands are to give themselves for their wives. So again, we have the sacrifice there. We have the husbands leading in a holy life. And we see when reading the text that husbands love their wives again by nourishing and cherishing her. So how does the husband do that? Again, as we saw there in Genesis 2.24, that he is to leave father and mother and he is to hold to his wife. So how would obedience to these commands, how would it, how would it change things? It's a great effect. And I think a lot of women here could say a lot more to the effect of a man who nourishes and cherishes her and loves her in that way, that it's going to have a greater effect than any of the other foolish things he might try to do. I know that because that's what God tells us. He gives us instruction. That's what husbands are to do. It might be a time when the man thinks, well, I don't feel like she's treating me right. That doesn't mean you stop loving her, showing affection and nourishing or cherishing. In contrast to that, um, the, if a wife thinks that her husband's not treating her right, she doesn't stop respecting him. She married him. She has reasons to respect him from the very beginning. And whatever respect she can have for him, just depending on the state of it, she needs to uh, to take that and to use it. it. needs to respect her husband. But I think about this. How would it restore marriages? How would it end 
all the divorces that go on. We know how rampant divorce is in society. Uh, how would it change the home? I think about this because the next few passages there, you get to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 4. And I think about that. Think about children who see their father affectionately caring for his wife. What, what example, what does that present? Well, that's going to teach them that that is how the, the daughters, that's the kind of husband that they need. That's going to teach the sons, that's how I'm going to treat my wife. That's how I should treat my wife. That's what the Bible teaches me to do. And then it says, and, and then it says, and that the mother humbly respect her husband. Imagine them seeing that. You know, I know that there are some women who just won't respect their husbands. Oh, he can't do anything right and this and that. No. If they show that respect and they humble themselves, they set that example again for their daughters to know how to live with their husbands and to behave with them and for their sons to know what kind of wife to look for, to expect. So God furthermore goes on and we see here the instruction in Ephesians for children. Children are to honor their father and mother so that they'll live long and live well. And someone might say, what if, my children, what if my parents aren't perfect? Well, children are still supposed to honor their father and mother because it's going to have the best outcome. And the father, what is he to do? Oh, my children, they don't respect me and, and other people don't respect me and my wife doesn't respect me. Does it mean you don't discipline, that you don't train your children, that you don't keep God's commandments there in Ephesians 6 and verse 4? No. You want to train your children. You want to avoid any kind of provoking them to wrath, any biases or prejudices or passing on anger and resentment to them. Don't carry that with you. Don't give it to your children. And do not discourage them, as it says in Colossians 3 and verse 21. I think about that. I think about what the home looks like like this. And how many Christian homes... And what I'm talking about is families who have been coming to church for so long... And yet they don't allow these scriptures to change them. They don't listen to God. And if they would just submit to God's word, it would make a big difference. Yeah, there's still going to be hard times. There's still going to be trials. still going to be misunderstandings and so forth. But it makes a huge difference in the Christian home to obey these scriptures. Now just take one of those things out. You take out a husband loving his wife, and what does that do to the marriage? You take out the wife respecting her husband, and what does that do? You take out the father training and disciplining his children, and what has that done in our society? What's been the result of it? And you take children who don't honor their father and mother, and what happens? Nothing good comes from it. I think about as a child, and, and reflecting back, uh, when I was a child... I was thinking, especially looking over the sermon, I should have done a better job of honoring my father and my mother. I obey them. And I think about it now because it's something that doesn't end for children. We honor our father and mother until they pass or we pass. What does, what does God know? Again, back to that first question we began with. What does God know about the nature of the family, about marriage, about men and women, about what they need? about what's going to affect change. God knows everything. He created us. He gave us life and breath and everything. He instituted the home. And brethren, I hope that we are encouraged by these words. This is, these messages are not intended, and when we talk about the family, it's not to go beat up on somebody. 
is not to beat ourselves up for the mistakes that we've made. All you're going to do is turn to God and repent, walk in the light, and all your sins are washed away. You begin anew and you go back to it. Don't let these things push you down or discourage you and you go back to doing whatever you, you were doing in life. Submit to God and take these words as words of encouragement to Him. Uh, words of encouragement to you, to the church. I'll bring you back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, the last verse. It gives you a summary. A summary, I think the best counseling you're going to get. You can go to one counselor to the next all over the place. Why don't you listen to God? And this is what he says for the home, for the, for the marriage. Ephesians 5.33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Selflessly love your wife. And then he says, and notice here he's putting the husband first, then the wife. And he says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect. Why did you change the words there, Paul? Because the meaning of the subordinate and respect are essentially the same. The same result. See that she respects her husband. I hope that we will use these things. I, I don't want to see another broken home. I don't like the stresses that go on in families. And the healthier and the better we are in our homes, the more that we'll be able to share the, our, by our own example, our faith, with others. We want to uphold the truth. We don't want our neighbors and, and knowing, well, I can hear them yelling over there in the house next door. What are they going to think about our example or about um, the gospel when we try to share it with them? And finally this morning, if you need any prayers, you need encouragement, we're going to give an invitation right now. So in that passage we read from Ephesians 5, verse 26, Christ, it says, He cleanses the church, He makes her holy by the washing of water by the Word. That's baptism. You want to become a part of the church, you want all your sins washed away, it starts with believing and confessing the Lord that He rose from the dead by repenting of your sins, being baptized in Christ. God does the work of washing away all your sins, and you will rise up in the newness of life. Whatever your needs are, we encourage you to come. Let's sing together.